When it comes to some of the major issues we face in the world, where do you think business fits in? Is the momentum shifting where businesses recognise that they can't keep doing what they've always done? They have to start thinking about the bigger picture and how what they're doing has real environmental and social impact. Well, my special guest today on Purpose and Vision is part of one huge worldwide business, PwC. Within that, she was responsible for establishing the Impact Assembly, a social venture designed to enable collaboration for social change. It's doing incredible work. Liz Cameron Smith, she had the vision, she had the desire, and she had the energy to make a real difference within the business community. Her belief is that business with a real purpose and vision has to step up and do more. You're listening to Purpose and Vision, the podcast that digs deep into why and how companies are making a greater impact in our world by focusing on profit and purpose. This is the podcast that tells the stories and inspires us all to think differently about business today. There's really been two things that have always driven me. Uh, One is this idea that the sorts of problems we face as a society, as a planet, are so complex that no single organisation or sector can solve it alone. So we really need to find ways at unlocking this idea of collective intelligence so we can actually progress as a human race um, rather than continue down the path of destruction we seem set on. Um, And then the second thing is really that business absolutely has a critical role to play in this, that we've probably gone for too long letting business off the hook and that we as businesses are part of society and have a shared responsibility to actually make sure we're functioning in a, in a cohesive way between the, biz, the business, society and the mm. economy more, more broadly. Okay. And, and how come you're part of the charge? What, what, what drew you to go, well, if no one else is doing it, I better, <laughs> we better? Well, it's a great question. And I, I've, I've ended up in business in what was a complete turn of events for me that I never saw coming. I actually started out in the government sector and in the not-for-profit space. Um, I felt like I was seeing a lot of really well-intentioned effort that wasn't always adding up to impact and that there were often a lot of different organisations and players trying to do the same thing um, but doing so in a way that wasn't joined up, wasn't strategic and where people were really just frustrated that they were working so hard and not seeing a lot change as a result. Yeah. Um, so I I actually joined the business set. I joined PwC Australia as a grad after some time in the not-for-profit and government space, just really looking for different ways of thinking about complex problems. Um, and it's there that I found a methodology that's really now at the heart of what we use at the Impact Assembly that is all around how you use co- collaborative problem solving to bring groups together around really complex issues. Uh, so I, I ended up setting up the Impact Assembly um, as a purpose-driven entity within PwC Australia. It's really all about helping groups tackling complex social issues um, and being a strategic partner to business, government and not-for-profits who are trying to do that. 
Mm, I love that. And tell me about that that methodology and where you spotted it. What what made you think we could adopt that? You know, we could shape it and it would have an impact with some of the problems that we face. Sure. And I, I say methodology, and it's actually a lot of different methodologies that we sh- we sort of smush together. Um, but it began with a method that started with a, a couple called Matt and Gail Taylor. And Matt was an architect. Gail was an educator. It was really looking at how you bring design thinking um, and sort of an understanding of psychology and how people learn and how people learn through play and all sorts of um, different disciplines of thought. And it became a really effective way of bringing people together to collaborate on, on problems. But what I found was sometimes missing was the ability to do that over a really long period of time yeah. with lots of different people from different organisations and different ways of approaching the world and approaching these problems. So over the years, we've really brought in um, a whole range of different layers around how you think about systems, how you think about systems change, um, how you weave data and evidence in along the way um, and really develop an approach that builds engagement, builds momentum over time with lots and lots of really diverse stakeholders, mm. including people with lived experience of the problem you're trying to solve. Mm. So your skill is to do some really deep thinking and strategic thinking rather than just sort of wading in, which is, I, I sense what a lot do because they feel what's the problem, we just need to get on with it. But you're almost just holding back a bit and thinking longer term. Would that be the right sort of way of thinking about this? Yes, uh, in a way, we definitely are about doing that thinking. But more than that, I would say we're about designing the way a group of people can think and work together Mm -hmm. over a long period of time. So it's almost helping people find new ways to think and new ways to solve a problem. And not just stop at the thinking, but actually accelerate into the doing and what it's actually going to take to solve the problem. Okay. So are you holding the space? Are you facilitating the thinking and then the action that then follows? Yes. So we design, we facilitate, we help communicate. Mm. Um, We sort of push people along. We're like the Mm. glue in the middle of a very messy... a, a messy co- coalition of people who are trying to push in the same direction. I love it. I love the uh, the line that you have as well, sort of front and centre of your, your your website when people land on the Impact Assembly. It says, to solve the most complex problems in Australian society, we believe collaboration is fundamental. Where do you think we've been going wrong with not collaborating and where do you think it actually succeeds when it is done together? So I think... Collaboration is hard work and I think it sounds like something soft and fluffy that everyone can hold hands and and do really well together, but it's actually very hard to do effectively and to do it over long periods of time. Um, So I think it's actually important to really think about when you're trying to collaborate, making sure that everyone's actually working towards the same purpose because often they're not. Um, Often there are competing agendas, there's politics, there's emotions. There's a whole lot of just this layer of human dynamics that is very difficult to navigate. 
Um, so I think being able to be real about that, being able to think about what are the disciplines and structures you need in place to help navigate something that complex um, and how do you motivate people, especially when you're not just operating within a single organisation where you get paid to do it as your day job. Mm-hmm. Like We're often talking about people who are really going above and beyond their day job to change systems. So how do you help keep this group of people, well-intentioned people together mm-hmm. yeah. for long enough before they, uh, I suppose, get frustrated and go home and back to their day job? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm, I think there'll be a lot of people listening to this saying, Liz, this is brilliant. We've tried the same, but there are several things that get in the way. There's egos. Um, there's the worry about careers, this career threatening doing that. Um, there is the, oh, it sounds great, but gosh, it sounds like a lot of effort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I can keep going if you want. There's, I'm sure there's, there's a long list. There's power. Yeah. There's, 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 there's power play. There's politics. There's yep. resources. Yep. There are actually so many things that stand in the way of effective collaboration. And that's why it's hard work. Okay. And I think... That's why you've also really got to want to do it together. You've also got to have that set vision in place. Otherwise, as you say, it's just going to fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's partly about the vision, and the, and the vision is what keeps you aligned and brings clarity mm-hmm. as you go. But you also need to build in ways to hold each other mutually accountable. Yeah. Um. So that there's actually consequences of not following through, and <laughs> the different sort of consequences because they're often quite um, social consequences <laughs> at times. Yeah. But but that can be different. I mean, if you have forward-thinking investors and funders in the mix, um, you can have very real consequences built in as well. And and that's what, what I mean by collaboration is not just the soft stuff. Yes. It's also about building in the the hard accountabilities that, that mean you follow through on what you say you're going to do. Can, can you give give me a working example of, of what we're talking about here? How a, a group of many different individuals, groups, businesses, um, community have come together with something which is a big, tricky, you know, massive issue. And you sat center on this and orchestrated and pulled together and listened and designed. Give, give us a real example. Sure. Um, so we've worked on a, a range of different examples across, you know, anything from homelessness and housing affordability to complex health issues where you're really tackling, trying to accelerate the pace of research. Um, but the one that I think is a great example to talk through is in the education space. Um, and this is a collaboration that is focused on equity in the education system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to just put that in perspective, Australia has the fourth most segregated education system according to the OECD in the world, yeah. which is a pretty shocking statistic. Yeah. And it's a sign of you know disadvantage being concentrated in the most disadvantaged schools. And what it means is if, if you're a young person with access to the right resources and schools, you can really follow this path to, to, to success in life. Um, and, and if you don't win that lottery, then there's a whole lot of barriers that continue to keep you in that trajectory yeah. of disadvantage. 
Um, so the, the group that I'm talking about is called Learning Creates Australia. We were not centre, we are a collaboration. Um, so we worked with the Foundation for Young Australians, Melbourne University, and it was also funded by the Paul Ramsey Foundation. Um, and we also worked with YLab, who specialise in bringing youth voice into the mix, which is a really important part of the equation. Um, and basically over the last 18 months, we've been working to really design the way a broad coalition of people across government, employers, schools, teachers, principals, young people, First Nations leaders really come together to reimagine different solutions that will help address the equity challenges in the, in the education system. Um, so th- that's even in a nutshell. I can go mm. into different aspects of it. but Yeah, look, it's a good example because it's a massive issue. And it's, I suppose a lot of people would say it's an issue that's not being discussed and, and designed, in, you know, in, in enough detail. So how did you play a part in this? How do you pull everyone together? How do you come up with a shared vision for what you want to achieve? Yeah, so, I mean, really the, the approach centres on a couple of different components. Um, one, as I said before, is actually about the voice of young people. Um, because that is something that's really been missing from the national dialogue. And so how do we shift the power in the system to elevate young people's voices about the sorts of education system that they need? Um, There was also a key element that was around collecting the right evidence and the data to inform the work. Uh, But then the third component was focused on using a method that is called the social labs method, to really bring this unlikely coalition together over sustained cycles of work mm-hmm. to start to test and prototype real solutions. Um, so this was a, a method that, that my team led. It, it emerged from a, a group in Oxford and yeah. has been used internationally. Yeah. But what's been really interesting about it is the way it enables people to bridge organisational divides to really start to come up with innovative ideas that are grounded in what communities want and need and are happy to test. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can I can talk to some of the sorts of prototypes they've come up with if that's, if well, that's useful, but it might be too the, much detail. Yeah, probably a little bit too much detail, but I think what a lot of people will be keen to know is, just like a movie, what happened in the end? Oh, it's not over yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. You, I, I we thought we right could. Have, in the middle of it. <laughs> I just thought you know we could solve our education problem with a quick ten-minute conversation. Of course, it's huge <laughs> and it will go on. But but yeah. in terms of steering towards that that outcome that you all dis- discussed and designed at the beginning, do you feel that you're making progress and are people still on board and enthused? Yeah, more so than ever. Um, so it's it's almost become if you think of it like a snowball effect. Um, where we've now got over a thousand people highly engaged, actively volunteering time um, above and beyond their day jobs, as I said. Uh, it's gone through a couple of cycles in the social lab that are focusing in on some really exciting initiatives. One looking at First Nations learning and principles and how to embed them in the mainstream education system. Um, a second really looking at tertiary 
pathways from mm-hmm. school into into tertiary opportunities and how to make that easier to navigate because at the moment young people have no idea of the breadth of different opportunities available to them and have different agreements with different schools. So what they're trying to prototype is a single agreement that many schools and universities sign up to that yeah. help young people know what success looks like. Yeah. Um, and then a third is really looking at si- sort of similar but from an industry lens. So how do you make better pathways from school into employment, yeah. particularly for young people experiencing disadvantage in the current system? <laughs> so, you know, it's not over because this work does take time as changing systems um, and we've got a whole lot of people signed up for a lot <laughs> more time ahead, yeah, um, I'm sure. which is part of part of the work. I'm it's sure. having that patience. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you feel that you're winning? Yes. Well, okay. I mean... I mean, to be honest, winning is sort of a weird, a weird word to use in systems change because (laughs) I think that, I think that there are always winners and losers in a system and, and it's about deciding who to privilege and how to help them gain from that system, which is what we're trying to do. Okay. So you're saying that in a system, there will always be winners and losers, so just using that definition, are you facing a lot of uh, negativity from those who feel that they may lose as a result of this new system you're designing? Not at this point in time, no. But okay. I'm not I'm not going to pretend that if you're trying to challenge the status quo, that's not going to come yeah, at some point. Yeah. Okay. So we accept that if we are trying to change things around, we are trying to have more purpose-led, more... Um, collaborative approach to this there will be winners and losers but as a whole society we're talking about Australia but across the world if we take this kind of approach more people win yeah well I I think at the heart of at the heart of it is this idea of how do you how do you shift power Mm. so it's not just those that are already winning that keep winning yeah and that is always going to have conflict associated with it because, as you say, status quo, they've done very well out of this. They don't want to lose their castle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think in many ways that's, you know, the challenge that is probably being presented to the business world at the moment as yeah. we start to look at the changing role that business plays in, in all of this. Do you, as a business, because PwC, known all around the world for the the, the consulting work and the the expertise that they bring, do you feel you're changing PwC by having this little part of the business that is doing this work? (laughs) You'd probably have to ask the rest of PwC that. Um, (laughs) I I would like to think so. (laughs) I would like to think so. When when it started, I'm sure, Liz, you were shoved in the corner saying, all right, Liz, if you really have this passion, you you can have that little office in the corner slowly bit by bit you're taking over that floor and you know i can just see you know two floors three floors actually a whole building where where do you think it sits within the grand scheme of business being done today this whole momentum for environmental and social good well you know it's a good question because i think the i think the landscape has changed significantly in even the last five years Mm. um so you know the truth is I did have to get this up by stealth in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think it's very different today. 
and 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 that's just in in a very short space of time. Um, I think there's been a lot of things that have driven that. We're seeing a broader recognition that things like climate change um, are not going away. Hmm. You know, some of the most complex issues we face, business absolutely contributes to, and the public society aren't accepting that anymore. And I think the thing that is shifting the most is neither are some of the biggest investors in the world. Um, So when you start to see groups like BlackRock, um, you know, which is the largest investment broker in the world, start to say that they're no longer investing in companies that support fossil fuels, um, that starts to to send ripple effects and signals of change through through the business community mm-hmm. and it, it it's it's starting to mean that there's actually a real stick that is influencing the way businesses focus their effort um, and I think we're also seeing the rise of things like ESG as a way to bring transparency to the operations of business that more and more businesses are now starting to mm. to focus on. Um, you, me, and a lot of people who listen to this will be very aware of everything that's going on. You know, we we we, we can't unsee what we see. Do you still think there's a lot of business that refuses to see this? That is still, you know, kind of living in the seventies, saying it's not going to be in our lifetime. Therefore, we don't need to worry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, if I'm perfectly honest, I think Australia is probably less mature than than some of the international mm. business communities. Yeah. Um, so I think we're definitely playing catch up, but I'm, I'm an optimist yeah. and, and I, I think that we're seeing signals of change. Um, and, uh, you know, an example of that is PwC is taking ESG very seriously, um, both in terms of what we do internally so that we can honestly and transparently walk the talk as well as the way we work with our our clients um, and and really enable them to take a long hard look at their mm-hmm. their business approaches and find ways to create value social value mm. and environmental value. When I started this podcast, it was very much with the aim of showing that you can have you know purpose and, and, and vision and you can have profit. You can you can do all of it. It doesn't have to be one or the or t'other. Do you, when you talk to businesses and you see where things are broken and you outline that there could be a huge opportunity here, do you find that people believe you, trust that? I think, you, like many things, you need the evidence. Uh, so I think, I think you either have evidence or you have visionary leaders. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's about finding the right individuals, the right leaders in a, in a business who do see what's possible. Um, I think in other contexts where you are faced with leaders who are perhaps more traditional and conservative in the way they think about the role of business in society, you need proof points. Um, And uh, as I said, I think we're still just starting out in Australia. There there are some emerging proof points, but I think it'll be like a wave of change that the Mm. more points of evidence we get, the more it starts to shift um, those who are actually in power and can make these choices. Where do you think that acceleration is going to come from? Where is that 
petrol on the flame going to you know best take hold? Is, is it some of the millennials? Is it some of the younger generation? Is it wh- wh- where is it coming from? Yes, for sure. Like I, I think there's a real generational shift in thinking that is and will continue to make its way through leadership levels of these organisations. Um, and I say that as an old millennial um, yeah. trying to, to, to set up these models within in businesses like PwC. I think it's partly generational. Um, I think that it's also comes from the media in many ways and the, and the pressure that is getting put on businesses who aren't performing um, or who are making mistakes that end up plastered all over the, yeah. the, the headlines. And so I, I think the media has a really powerful and important role to play in this as well. But the, a lot of the media is very keen on maintaining the status quo, so they don't want to report a lot of the amazing work that is going on. No, but they do like to report the, the catastrophes. Mm. <laughs> they do like to report things like Dugong Gorge and, you know, some of these examples that really show the impact that business can have. Yep. Um, and, and I think business takes those things seriously. They do. Um, and, 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 also, and I'm seeing those responses play out. Yeah, and also, Liz, the shareholders are, are having more power, aren't they, in, in determining uh, the structure of the board. You know, if, if there is a, a, a sense that the board isn't progressing as rapidly as it should be, that we're, we're seeing examples now where the board are being removed and replaced. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think another thing that I've seen really reverberate through the business community is response to things like the Royal Commissions um, and and the role that government has played in calling some of these businesses to account um, I don't think that can be underestimated because it, it is the context that the businesses are operating in and they have to take it seriously and are. I want to get your, um, if you like, uh, experience that you can share with other people who don't have the, the power <coughs> of a PwC behind them but go, gosh, it sounds really interesting, the work that you're doing. I'd love to try and you know instill some of this change within our organisation, but we seem to have late leadership that's sort of stuck in the seventies. Where does where where does the conversation start? How how would someone go about presenting this opportunity for change? Do you think it's interesting you touched on leadership? Um, I think leadership is often one of the really important conditions for change and. So I would be encouraging people to really look for the leaders within their organisation that that can see what's possible and, you know, get, getting involved with them and really trying to amplify and, and, and sort of fuel the fire of, of their And you say, obviously, we, we talk with the Impact Assembly in mind of collaboration. So if, if I was to have an idea within a big organisation, are you saying I should probably team up with a few other individuals that think the same, have the same conversations at lunch, and we should all march down to the, uh, to the boss's office and say, <laughs> we, we think we should do something better than what we're doing? I mean, is that how it works, do you think? Yeah, so uh, I think, and I was going to talk about collaboration but in a different context, but that, but that as well. So I think... Mm that is really touching on this idea of new power and how do you mm. really unleash bottom-up power to to speak truth to, yeah, yeah. to those that are in positions of power. And I think that you cannot underestimate how important it is 
for voices that previously haven't had formal and traditional forms of power um, to to find ways of getting momentum and, and working with others to get that. Um, but I think the other way of collaboration I was going to talk to was around how you join forces with those outside your organisation. So I think many of these things are about going beyond our organisational construct to yep. think about what's the problem we're trying to solve here, who can influence it, um, who's, who's impacting it for better or worse, um, and how do we find ways to work with them to actually change um, the status quo. Yeah, okay. And then, as you talked about, this bottom-up movement is very powerful, isn't it? Because it's it's difficult to, I mean, it's easy to just, you know, nip one in the bud and say, you know, come back in five years. But when there's hundreds knocking or thousands knocking, it really does have impact. Do you think, how, how do you think the best way to, to gather, to glue people is? Obviously, the Impact Assembly does that, but not everyone has the opportunity to, to, to work with you. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, actually, I'd say the the best examples of this have happened very organically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's looking, look at things like the Me Too movement, yep. look at things like what has just played out in Parliament around sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, you know, often it starts with with people, individuals having enough courage to stand up and say that something is not okay. Um, and, it's surprising how when one person is willing to do that, how much easier it makes for those that follow. Yeah. Um, and that's what begins to really fan the, mm. the, the movement that starts mm. to, to, to play out. Yeah, it's a really important point, isn't it? The, the starting of this is always the difficult bit. Once it's up and running, that it, it, it forms an energy of its own. And have you, you, you're sensing that, I guess, with the Impact Assembly within PwC. It started as a little... Um, crazy idea that you had and it's just grown and it's now I love this sort of phrase the tipping point do you feel that we're getting near to a tipping point where business if it's going to be successful tomorrow has to embrace a lot of what we're talking about today yeah without question um like I think once you start to enter into a world where you can't get capital if you can't transparently show the impact you're mm. having on society, mm. then I think that absolutely means business starts to to move. Um, but, you know, I think it's also an interesting example going back to us getting the impact assembly up because it was a crazy idea and people told me it would never happen and that it was impossible and that it would never be taken seriously. Mm. And I had, I had to prototype it outside of, of a business in order to show it could work. And so I think for me that's mm. about, once you are clear what your purpose is, yeah. you need to stick to it regardless of what people tell you. Um, and you've got to back yourself and find ways to prove that it's possible, especially where it's really challenging the status quo, yeah. that people are quite attached to keeping the way it is. Beautiful. I'm going to ask you a final question, which is five years from now. And I, I normally go kind of one year from now, but with you, I know that a lot of this is super complex and it's not going to happen overnight. Five years from now, how will you know whether you've been successful personally and with the Impact Assembly? Great question. Uh, for me, it's, it's first and foremost about the impact of the groups we're working with in the community. And so 
five years from now, for example, that project I was mentioning, Learning Creates Australia, I would want to see that it had started to change the education system and that we were moving towards a more equitable model where every young person had the opportunity to thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, within the PwC setting, for me, impact would would be if we weren't – you didn't need to go to a specialist unit called the Impact Assembly at PwC to really think about how to create impact through business, government, uh, the not-for-profit space. Instead, it was really something that just became part of the way we do business and that any person in any team at PwC talk to their clients Mm. about this um, and that any client realise that this is part of what's necessary um, as, 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 as part of the human race more than anything. Okay, I like it. And finally, I just want to add this to this because you're the mother of two little children. You're yeah. doing important work for, for us now, but also, and it's the same you know, with me, I'm very driven to make sure that we've got something to, to leave for our children and children's children, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, do, do you sense that this is something that is going to um, take off? For them, and when they ask you, "What is it you do, Mummy?" <laughs> How do you summarize that for them? <laughs> well, at the moment, they're eighteen months and four, so yeah. like, we don't have very sophisticated conversations <laughs> about it. It's going to come. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my husband and I talk about this all the time, actually. And you know, we've gone through phases of really looking at the state of society and humanity and the climate mm. we're in. And I just don't think we can look them in the eye when they're older and not say we tried to do something Mm. to change our trajectory. Um, So me doing this now is is definitely about creating the kind of future that I think will be better and that gives them a chance to have um, all the kinds of opportunities we had and more um, and it's horrifying to think about the state of global warming and what that might mean to their lives and their children's lives. And I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, we tried to do something about that. Fantastic. Um, I'm so glad you are. And I really wish you so much success with that. Um, Just before we close, I I ask you to pass the baton to the next person and the person that you think I I should be talking to on the podcast purpose and vision um you were very highly recommended by jason in our last one so where are you wanting us to go with the next conversation well because we talked a lot about just at the end there about this idea of new power and sort of bottom-up change um i actually want to give full credit to there's an organization called purpose and a book called new power by Jeremy Hymans. Um, and I want, I, I think the person that would be great for you to talk to is someone called Simon Goff, who heads up the Australian arm of purpose, um, because they do some really incredible things thinking exactly about that bottom up movements for change and really the narratives that 
the social narratives that can can influence change. So I think it would be great for you to have a chat mm. with him next and hear what they're up to because I'm certainly paying close attention <laughs> to them right now. <laughs> that's really good. I love that. T- to me, that's where th- there's a real energy that if we tap it, it's going to become so powerful. And I just think it's not – I don't think it's been properly tapped yet. We, we keep flirting with it, and I'm talking about it on a worldwide level, not necessarily even talking in Australia. I'm talking about on a worldwide level, I think we flirt with it, but it's not been tapped or bottled or um, really um, maximised as yet. Mm. And, it, and it fundamentally changes the way humans connect with each other, yes. the way they communicate, the way they can organise themselves. Yes. And to me, this is a critical part of that puzzle of how do we unlock collective intelligence yeah um yeah. and it's it's the ultimate equalizer to be able to do that across boundaries both organizationally and nationally um so i think it'd be a really exciting it next really conversation mm. let's thank you i so appreciate your time i would love to just ask you where people can get hold of you if they hear this and they feel inspired to, to reach out to you where, where do people go Sure. Uh, you could email me at liz.cameron-smith at pwc.com. Beautiful. And if people want to go to the website, it's uh, just put in the Impact Assembly and that will come up. And yes. you'll see that it's part of PwC. It'll come up via that. But it's really interesting what you're doing. And um, uh, it would be great to follow up and talk again in a, you know, a year or two to see how you're going. But well done for getting it going. <laughs> As I was saying, it's the hard bit is just starting this. Once it's up, it organically evolves. But it's uh, tremendous what you're doing. And I really appreciate it. Oh, great. And thanks so much, James, for taking the time to talk today. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to Purpose and Vision. For more details about this podcast, go to the website purposeandvisionpodcast.com or find us on Facebook at Purpose and Vision, on Instagram, purpose.vision, and on Twitter at PurposeVision1. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and perhaps you'd be kind enough to rate the show. This will help others find it. Just go to where you download your podcast and enter a review. Thank you so much.